Welcome to CMS On Air, the podcast on migration and refugee issues, brought to you by the Center for Migration Studies of New York. This is Rachel Reyes, CMS's Director of Communications. This episode features our interview with Her Excellency Ms. Maria Fernanda Espinoza Garces, President of the 73rd Session of the United Nations General Assembly. She is only the fourth woman to hold this position in the history of the world body and the first since 2006. For more than 20 years, President Espinoza Garces has worked in the areas of international negotiations, peacebuilding, security, defense, disarmament, human rights, indigenous peoples, gender equality, sustainable development, environment, biodiversity, climate change, and multilateral cooperation. She has served her native Ecuador as Minister of Foreign Affairs, Minister of National Defense, and Coordinating Minister of Natural and Cultural Heritage. She has also served as Special Advisor to the President of the Constituent Assembly that drafted the Constitution of Ecuador in 2008. That same year, she became the first woman to become Permanent Representative of Ecuador to the United Nations in New York. Before beginning her political and diplomatic career, President Espinoza Garces was associate professor and researcher at the Facultad Latinoamericana de Ciencias Sociales, sede Ecuador. She has written over 30 academic articles about the Amazon region, culture, heritage, sustainable development, climate change, intellectual property, foreign policy, regional integration, defense, and security. In this CMS On Air, President Espinoza Garces speaks with Kevin Appleby, CMS's Senior Director of International Migration Policy. They discuss global migration issues in advance of the upcoming Intergovernmental Conference to adopt the Global Compact for Safe, Orderly, and Regular Migration, which will be held this December in Marrakesh, Morocco. Now here is our interview with President Espinoza Garces. Madam President, thank you for being with us today on the Center for Migration Studies podcast. As President of the General Assembly, you've set seven policy priorities upon which you will focus as President. And one of those issues, of course, is migration. Could you explain why you think migration is one of the most important challenges facing the world community today? Well, first of all, I think that the history of humanity is about migration, in a way. So this is Uh, not a new phenomenon, but of course, in the past years, uh, this issue has taken different proportions, and we have seen uh, highest numbers of people on the move for various reasons, because of economic hardship, because of conflict, because of climate change. And uh, uh, I think that uh, what the multilateral system and the United Nations has done is uh, to work collectively in a shared response and shared responsibility on this very important issue. And of course, this is a very important item on our agenda, policy priority, because we are uh, very close to adopting the Global Compact on Migration in the Marrakesh Conference, and we are very much looking forward to have a very high-level, solid, uh, strong uh, conference uh, to adopt the compact. And I think that member states that have come together to agree on this universal framework, and I think that it's a very, very powerful tool. As a follow-up, one of the disturbing developments over the last several years globally has been a rise in xenophobia, and in some cases nationalism around the globe, and it's created an environment which has made it somewhat difficult to get to common solutions on this issue. 
what can be done to sort of change that narrative that we're seeing right now in a negative way against migrants? What can the global community do to sort of change the messaging on migrants in a positive way? Well, in a way, I think that we have more success stories than sad stories about migration. The only problem is that the stories that make it to the headlines and that are uh, used and seen by the media and by the social media are the negative stories about uh, migration. And you are right. Uh, we have seen uh, racism, xenophobia. We have seen uh, nationalism around the globe. It's not an issue in one country or another. But I would say it is a trend, but luckily it's a trend of the minority. The majority of the people, they understand how fruitful, useful, contributing can be the flux of people of different cultures, of different beliefs, but also of different skills and knowledge. And I think that we, we have to put emphasis on these success stories. And there's so many around the world that we have to build a very strong counter-narrative. And that's uh, why the, the United Nations are so relevant. Because if you look at the agencies and programs and countries around the globe, they are multipliers of success stories of migration. I come from a country. Ecuador, that has lived for decades receiving with open arms to the displaced of the Colombian conflict. We've been for years the country number one in terms of numbers of refugees, and we have embraced them and, and we have given them the services, the rights, the dignity. And now uh, we are perhaps a better country because of that. Uh, this very country, our host country, the United States. Now, a few weeks ago, I decided to go back to Ellis Island and to look at how this country was shaped because of the enormous contribution of uh, diverse cultures and backgrounds coming to build and to support the building of this wonderful nation. And I think that we have to remind ourselves, where do we come from? And our own nations, I would say all nations are built because of the contributions of migrants. This is the counter-narrative that we need to build. Yeah, the, the harsh rhetoric seems to dehumanize migrants, and it's important, as you say, to put a face on the migrant to, as human beings, I would say. Let, let, me, let me just turn now to the Global Compact on Safe, Orderly, and Regular Migration, which you mentioned. We're all looking forward to Marrakesh, Morocco, where the compact will be formally adopted at an international conference. In a recent address to the UN, you stated that the road to Marrakesh is the road of hope. Could you explain for us more what you meant by that? And as a follow-up, what can member states do to make the hope you speak of a reality? Well, I think to start with the Global Compact on Migration, I think it was a tremendous effort of member states to agree on an instrument that will help them to establish partnerships, cooperation, exchange success stories, exchange some policy challenges that they may have. Uh, it's a platform, it's a framework that allows uh, countries uh, to collaborate on an issue that is by nature transboundary. It's a transboundary issue. It is a global issue that requires global responses. So the Global Compact is about that. And why is the Global Compact and the Marrakesh a road 
uh, to hope, it's because it's going to give us the opportunity, first of all, to hire the political profile of migration, because we really expect a good turnout of state and government. And second, because we will adopt an instrument that would then be ready for implementation. And implementation is the key. Uh, implementation is not only about the commitment and responsibility of member states, it is also the call for partnership, for engagement of the entire UN system, IOM, the Office of the High Commission on Human Rights, of Refugees. There is a network that was established to support member states uh, to implement the compact. But at the same time, it is a golden opportunity to have all key stakeholders involved, NGOs, the private sector, uh, faith communities, around the issue of implementing uh, the compact. So it's going to be like a high point on the international migration agenda, and I'm very much looking forward to Marrakesh. Madam President, the, uh, the current reality on the ground in terms of migration management is a bit different than what the principles in the Global Compact profess. Uh, we see around the globe often deterrence policies being used to manage migration, and that can include interdiction and return, offshore processing, mandatory detention, externalization of borders, if you will. Do you think that the Global Compact on Migration offers a different model that nations can pursue? and? Do you think in its implementation that nations will sort of change these deterrent strategies and sort of make a switch toward more positive immigration policies, such as legal avenues for migration, that help facilitate in a more humane way how migration flows develop? Yes, I, I think this is very, very simple. What we need to do is just to recall history. It's very simple. We need to recall history and bring past history to the present. And look, for example, again, using the example of Ellis Island. It's from those, the, the 18th century that people from different origins have been coming to this country and contributing to the incredible industrial and economic development of this country. But take any other example around the world, very uh, um, shocking examples, uh, the Second World War, the First World War, the hundreds of thousands that were displaced that came to different continents. And they were really welcomed and just transformed into a very living part of a society and an economy. And I think we, we need to recall that. On the second issue is that you're right. It's not that we are naive. We know very well that there are some deterrent schemes that are going on um, that are really countering the fundamental human rights of people. And uh, we have to make sure that we reverse this trend in a way that would really bring balance between sometimes national interest and some national challenges and at the same time see that a country can be welcoming. And I'm convinced that, of course, there are limits and, and there are schemes that need to be applied in order to have, as the compact states, very clearly orderly, safe, predictable uh, migration. The only way for that to happen is with international cooperation, 
with dialogue, with alliances between different stakeholders. And I think that's what uh, we need to collectively understand. And I think that the Global Compact on Migration offers that golden opportunity for us to cooperate, for us to create a narrative that would just consider migration as a normal uh, movement of of people because of different reasons. And we know uh, what the reasons are. And I have to tell uh, you and, and remind ourselves that no one, no human being, leaves its own country, its family, its uh, material uh, comfort because they just want to. Most of the time, it's not a voluntary decision. It is because there are some very strong structural causes that pushes people to look for new places or new opportunities. So if that's the case, then we have to accompany these people in a way that their dignity and their rights would be complied with. Well, thank you. Um, I'd like to turn to some specific populations, populations whose rights you have championed yourself. The first group I'd like to talk about is women and girls, migrants, who are about half of the internal and international migrants worldwide. As you know, they can be subject to human trafficking, sexual violence, and other forms of exploitation, both in their home countries, but also along the migration journey. What more can be done to protect women and girl migrants in the world? And do you think that the Global Compact is a good first step in that direction? You know, absolutely. I think that uh, the Global Compact also has this advantage of looking at the migration issue from a very balanced perspective and provide the necessary guiding elements for countries of origin, countries of destination, and countries of transit, and looks at the entire equation of migration. But also, it calls for gender-sensitive framework, and that is very important. And we know that vulnerabilities of, of women and girls when large numbers of people are on the moves for several reasons. I mean, they are a target sometimes, unfortunately, and we need to double our efforts in our frameworks and our policy decision to make sure that they are properly protected. So the Global Compact on Migration calls for a gender-sensitive policy and collective and shared efforts. And we we have to be mindful that indeed, and unfortunately, uh, women and girls are uh, perhaps more vulnerable than men. You've been a strong advocate bringing attention to the effects of climate change. And during the Global Compact negotiations, the issue of climate change and migrants who are forcibly displaced by natural disasters or slow onset environmental degradation, you know, how to respond to them. They're migrants in vulnerable situations. And it's a group that's evolving, right, in terms of their protection needs. What can member states do to better protect migrants who are victims of climate change moving forward? And I know that the GCM, the Global Compact on Migration, has several good provisions in that regard. But what would you encourage member states to really do to to better protect these groups that are emerging? 
Well, first of all, this is uh, yet another very important element of the Global Compact on Migration because, indeed, it factors in the issue of disasters, of, of climate effects as causes for migration, and it addresses it in a very, uh, I would say, complete, interesting uh, way. So uh, the Global Compact on Migration addresses the issue of climate change and disasters-related uh, migration. Uh, I think that we have to act in two dimensions. One is to make sure that these people that are displaced because of climate change and, and other kinds of disasters, they are taken care of in a way. Uh, we have so many internally displaced persons because of climate situations and uh, shortages of food, drought, floodings. This is so evident. And the last information that we received from the IPCC clearly shows that this is a very, very pressing issue. The Global Compact on Migration provides guidance on this issue, but also we have the Paris Agreement, which is a very strong, you know, multilateral agreement to deliver on both resilience, but also mitigation and adaptation. And I think these are the uh, the safeguards, in a way, and, and also the uh, commitments that uh, member states are ready to comply with in terms of making sure that uh, climate change does not get worse, but that we uh, can reach a balance. It's very easy to say, but very difficult to do. We are uh, you know, a few weeks away from the next conference of the parties in Poland, and we expect that at least after three years of the Paris Agreement, we will be able to deliver on a very clear program of work, and we are working towards that goal. Together, the Paris Agreement, the Global Compact on Migration, would provide the necessary guidance for member states to commit on these issues. Terrific. Thank you. So, Madam President, you were elected at a time where the Global Compact on Migration had been negotiated pretty much. It will be finalized in Marrakesh. But now comes the hard part, the implementation which um, can be certainly challenging as well. What can be done to ensure that member states effectively implement the compact and, and take its provisions seriously? And how can civil society, including faith-based organizations, contribute to that goal? In, in other words, what role can civil society play to help facilitate the implementation of the compact? Well, I would say that to start with, uh, I agree with you that the global compact was negotiated and agreed upon in a very difficult moment on the migration agenda. And that shows the willingness and the commitment of member states already. Uh, so that's a big gain for the migration agenda. We do have a compact, a compact that enjoyed almost uh, unanimous support when it was adopted. And it is very important that we hold that momentum. It, we bring it to Marrakesh, and then we start working on the implementation. And of course, implementation is about, again, I repeat, coordination, collaboration, partnerships. It is not only in the hands of member states. Of course, they have the perhaps the most important part in, in terms of 
policy making, in terms of norm setting, uh, in terms of the operation of the implementation. But at the same time, I think that there's key, key stakeholders that would really ensure that the implementation is a success. The faith communities that you mentioned and the NGO communities. Why? Because most of the time, these NGOs and these faith communities, they are like the first micro level of contact with migrants. They are at the very forefront. They know the names of the migrants. They know their needs. They know what they expect. They know their shortages. So they are in the subsidiarity chain, in a way. They are the really the very first local contact. So together with a, with a civil society, with the faith communities, with the UN migration network that was created by the Secretary General that brings all the agencies together, the idea is that this uh, UN network will operate through the national UN uh, offices and would just support member states in delivering and the implementation of the compact. And at the same time, there is the, the will and the political decisions of member states to implement the compact. And this is a win-win situation. Believe me, it's going to be a win-win situation. And I forgot to mention also the role of the private sector. The role of the private sector is indeed extremely important to the implementation as well. Madam President, do you have any final thoughts for our listeners on how you see the future in terms of migration? Well, I am an optimist. And I think that we will see a future uh, where migration will not stop because it's part of the history of humanity, people on the move since first day of humanity. So it will continue. And I think that countries are going to be increasingly aware of the enormous potential and the positive contribution of uh, migration and migrants. And it's not, not only about numbers, because it has been proven, the economic contribution of migrants, but also uh, to enrich the diversity of society, enrich a better understanding, intercultural dialogue, multilingualism. All these are wealth of humanity. And, and I think that uh, there is going to be a time where migration is seen as, as a natural phenomenon. And let's hope that the structural causes of, of migration would be tackled and addressed. Less conflict, less migration. Less climate change and adverse effects, less migration. More development, less migration. So that's what we're aiming at. If we are able to deliver on the 2030 agenda and the sustainable development goals, I am sure we will not be even speaking about uh, migration. Madam President, thank you for being with us today and for your leadership, and we look forward to seeing you in Marrakesh. Well, thank you very, very much. You can learn more about the UN General Assembly at un.org. CMS On Air's theme music is provided by Danny Duberstein and The Music Case. To get more information on CMS's research, publications, and events, visit us at cmsny.org.